Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Well, greetings, podcasters. Uh, We're here on the Value Add podcast, conversations and reflections that add value to your life. And I'm your guest host, Larry Coburn, not to be confused with the normal host, Lars Coburn. That's right. Yes, we we are related. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and just to keep it confusing, my guest today on the podcast is none other than Lars Coburn, who is usually the host of this podcast. But um, so welcome. Welcome, Lars. We're turning the tables on you today. Yeah. For uh, for this podcast. Yeah, this is uh, going to be fun. You get to experience the other side of value-add conversations. There you go. There you go. Well, um, what, one of my favorite topics, I thought, uh, since I've taken the, uh, seized the uh, host duties and the host chair here, um, is uh, a thing I call visual leadership. And uh, I'm hoping that's a familiar idea for you since we talk about it, it seems like all the time. Yeah, yeah, prob- probably so. I mean, visual, you see it, it's in front of you. Leadership probably is a little vague, you know, just because there's so many leadership things out there. But I think yes. we'll, we'll end up somewhere. At last count, I think there's, uh, there's something like 6,000 known definitions of leadership uh, bantied about out in the yeah, atmosphere. Yeah. So, so visual leadership probably being one of those. It could just become another one of the 6,000, I suppose. Well, I really was just wanting us to talk a little about both words visual and in a context of leadership and uh, a little about what it might mean to you but also just to think uh, application uh, for for a few minutes um, about how it could be applied and the first way i want to steer us a little bit uh, is in the idea that that when i say visual leadership to just random people which i i've been known to to do, uh, they often uh, think about the notion of people seeing the leader. So a person they think of as a leader in some context, and they can see that person. Mm-hmm. And what they see about that person uh, then is a way that that person is leading them, mm-hmm. just based off their example, what they do, those kinds of things. And it, it kind of... Um, I like the little phrases that that uh, encapsulate these bigger ideas, and the phrase that that I think of in that idea is the the idea that people do what people see. Mm-hmm. People do what people see. So I thought maybe you could just talk a little about uh, your experience, um, both ways, like seeing other leaders, and that maybe had some impression on you to follow based on what you saw, not mm-hmm. necessarily what they said. Um, and then how is that working for you as a, as a leader in the context where you have some uh, leadership responsibilities? Yeah, so I mean, I think about um, different leaders that I've seen, um, you know, first I, I would say probably, I remember um, people on television leaders on television um, and seeing some of their just the way that they 
poise. We're poised in um, so presidents. So like I have a very very limited memory of Bill Clinton as president, but then George W. Bush leading through um, 9/11, and just uh, hearing State of the Union addresses at the time as a as a young boy really. Um, so I think at those kind of big levels, and then in college being introduced to leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. with the, um, his famous I Have a Dream speech and different things like that. So historic leaders and, and political leaders, I think, were ones I was really, really interested in because they're so visible, right? They, they have such a platform. There's such a public figure. Um, I was uh, obviously, as uh, my mom was a history major, and so just like getting that uh, exposure to history, getting to see history in person, living in Southeast Asia, going to places, uh, historic sites and seeing it there and realizing how these these leaders have shaped history and shaped the world through the way that they led. I think um, U.S. presidents have been one that I kind of zoned in on and really, really found uh, fascinating. Um, we were at Disneyland recently in Abraham Lincoln uh, mm-hmm. They have the the moments, yeah, great, great moments, moments yeah. with Abe Lincoln, and it's those. We, we can still see him. Yeah, yeah, you can still see him. The beauty of that is how much work they went into to make the lifelike representation, so that you're not just hearing the speeches or moments from his speeches, um, which his speeches are phenomenal, but you're experiencing it, you're seeing it, mm-hmm. you're seeing his walk, um, his mannerisms, as best we can can kind of put them together. Um, and then, of course, with all of Disney's production capabilities and everything like that. So you, I think about movies about presidents, movies about public figures uh, demonstrating leadership. And uh, I'm captivated by that. I'm captivated by what I see and how you experience that through, through seeing it. Um, and I think that shapes somewhat why that I want to uh, learn from them, how I learn from them. So I'm not just shaped by the things they say, or, um, but I'm shaped by what I see happening because of, of what they're doing and how they're leading. Um, and so I, I think about that in my own life, like what's the public um, role of my leadership? And that's mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. what people see. That's the visual part of my leadership. So. Yeah. Uh, one of the best books on visual leadership that I kind of got on is the One Minute Manager, and mm. I didn't read it. Mm. I've heard about it for a long, long time. Obviously, it's a date. It's kind of yeah. a dated book now, uh, '80s, I think. Yeah, that book predates you. Yeah, predates so, my my existence. Um, Ken Blanchard, uh, Spencer Johnson, and they um, in it they tell this fictional story. Obviously, if you haven't if you haven't read it, there it's kind of one of the uh, first books like this in leadership and management um, that's kind of a, a story, a fictional story that, that puts into practice these principles. But what captivated me was not just the principles, but this little part of the book where it says the person walks into the office and there's not a lot on the walls, but what they does see on the wall is these sayings. Hmm. And so some of them are like this, like people who feel good about themselves produce good results. Uh-huh. Um the best minute I spend is the one I invest in people. Okay? And so I was captivated by what this, in, in a book, what the author is trying to point out is that it's not just the leader's good sayings or the practices mm. of the leader. It's actually, I was captivated by what I saw, 
The leader's mm -hmm. desk wasn't cluttered. The office wasn't full of stuff. Uh -huh. On the wall were just a few of these sayings. Mm. Um, so when there's not a lot on the wall, it uh, speaks loudly what they choose to put in that space. What they choose to put in that yeah. space. And um, and obviously the, the author was trying to make the point that simplicity and not an unbusy unclutteredness was was mm. helpful um, a leader that uh, in my sphere obviously in the in ministry um, kind of pastoral circles especially in southern california dallas willard is this kind of guru of sorts taught at uh, university of southern california usc um, philosophy and he was known to say the um that you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Um, and, uh, and John Orberg is a, is, was a really close um, friend of his and, and one that got mentored by him uh, tremendously, and he passed on a lot of that, that wisdom from Dallas Willard. Um, and I, I find that as really, really helpful, this visual of a leader uh, not cluttered, not busy, not yeah. hurried. Yeah ruthlessly eliminating it and creating these visual moments not just um uh in their personal life in but in their public time mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. a president who has the time to shake hands or to speak slowly is not rushing through a leader who who still has time to go for their jog or shoot baskets i, I there's yeah. some some great imageries from the last few presidents of them doing things that help them maintain some sense of balance. And those public displays, those visual leadership moments, I think, are, are really, really um, telling. And so yeah. what, what do I, um, in my context, give off when people see me being either late to coffee shops or um, unable to shake their hand on a Sunday morning at church? Um, or uh, always having to put off confies or whatever mm -hmm. when that's my public leadership or um, you know just different ways that I order my life how are how am I visually showing them that I'm ruthlessly eliminating hurry um, and 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 those kind of things so I uh, I'm intrigued by the people who have a real big public persona and yeah. uh, and their leadership and I think that it um, it does end up being things that go on your wall. It does end up mm. being slogans like vision statements and those kind of things. Um, but it's much, much more. It's, it's mm. more of this um, persona and the way that they carry themselves in that public arena. Yeah, I, wanna, I want to uh, pursue the visual principle a little bit um, and maybe take you down a, uh, at a, a more tactical level and take you back in time to uh, Sri Lanka and, oh, yeah. and uh, the uh, Apparel Innovation and Training Center. Hey, I always forget Lane. what the AITC stood apparel. for, so thank you. Apparel. apparel, yeah. Apparel in so Innovation, yeah. a big Nike yeah. thing, yeah. And uh, so you ended up uh, sort of getting thrust into a training program there, mm -hmm. and uh, it was hands-on stuff. So. Do you remember some, uh, some of the projects you did, and can you relate any of that to the visual principles at all? Yeah, yeah. So as you as you think about um, making a T-shirt, there's a there's the first thing is the material shows up in these big big rolls, and we don't 
often think about a t-shirt being that way um, but uh, it's this fabric and it's just it's kind of like going to like Joanne fabrics or like a, a regular Walmart or whatever and going yeah, back to the fabric on, on steroids store. yeah <laughs> but on steroids there's these, these giant rolls yeah. that show up on the, in a truck and uh, that was one of the main places I got to spend my time um, was in this uh, raw material warehouse as the truck would dump this um, big rolls of, of material and a lot of times it was like you know the shirt you're wearing right now is a, is a Nike mm -hmm. shirt yeah. um, and it has some little white stripes and some yeah. you know, stuff but it's yeah. it's for the most part a main color blue a, pretty much a blue shirt but that white would come in giant giant roll of white you know and it's like we're now we're cutting little we things just need out a little teeny piece of it yeah, yeah. so um, it was quite interesting just to, to kind of deal with that there was um, obviously a relationship with the, whoever transported it as well as the mm -hmm. um, material supplier. There was then um, internal customers that we were trying to deal with like, okay, so then the cutting department is gonna need this material, they're gonna have to queue. They're on these, they're these big rolls so they have to be transferred onto a rolling cart that then rolls out and then transfers onto the cutting cart and so there's mm -hmm. um, moments of transfer and uh, we, we tried to help kind of think about in our learning that the customer really only cares about the cutting of that raw material. They don't really care how many times we transfer from one card to the next or these different things or um, do we store it in that room where it comes off or does, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times there was rolls stored on the manufacturing floor over by the cutting department and so it's like, well, which roll is for what and who needs yeah. it when? and and it, now it's in the way over here or it's not safe, it's blocking an exit. All of those things, really the customer doesn't care how it gets to the cutting spot. Um, and so we were just trying to think like more efficiently. Um, but, uh, but, you know, visual leadership there was trying to um, help kind of be clear about marking things. So obviously the exit signs are like uh, one that mm -hmm. we can all relate to in an office building or in a church or anything like that. We're gonna have, we need clear exits. Um, but we often don't think about like, well doors need to open properly and so stuff can't be stored. So we were, you know, there was mm -hmm. tape on the floor at different yeah. places. That's a form of visual leadership. Yeah. Um, if that, if we, uh, don't have any consequences for putting something in front of that door, um, then we're obviously not, our visual leadership is not very effective. And so it might be there, the tape might be on the floor, or the exit sign might be lit up, but um, you know, is our leadership effective if, if people are just kind of, there's no consequences for breaking those, yeah. those rules? And I thought that was a, like an interesting lesson that I took from, from those things is like, it's not just plastering a poster on the wall or putting tape on the floor for a, a clear pathway to things. Um, you know, we were trying to create cue cards and different things with our team was, was trying to brainstorm how could we help communicate between the cutting department and the, um, the other department that they're, the receiving department. Um, you know, there was too many things to be stored so you would have to roll the carts uh, move them around to get to the mm. cart, but if you stored yeah. them in wrong, you know, you put them in the wrong. Yeah, way. then now yeah. you're having to move all the carts to get them out, and uh, and so trying to figure out like how can we communicate as the stuff comes in visually that this is the thing that's going to come out first, yeah. and so build in first in first right. out thing. 
but you're not always sure because you don't have the greatest communication. So then there was things like, well, we have a clipboard here. Well, why aren't people using the clipboard? Well, because it's not very easy to use or, you know, whatever the question yeah. was. I, it's a little fo foggy right now, but I remember there was some sort of clipboard or something. And I remember us asking, well, do, do people use it? And it's like, well, no. It's like, well, it was somebody's good idea. It was somebody's yeah. visual yeah. leadership at yeah. some point. You could um, see the clipboard, but it wasn't. Uh, but it wasn't being used. Yeah. And so I think about that in my life now, in my application of ministry now, that there's there's times where I'll come up with a really good, uh, or you know, you know a check-in system for kids ministry or something. But if nobody uses it, then it's then just what's a the you know? It, it's my version of visual leadership, but it's not being used. Um, so the, I would think about too your. Um, your raw material warehouse intake process project. You did that with a team. You mentioned our team mm -hmm. was trying to do several things. And uh, in that team, uh, in that training environment, we used a lot of flip charts. Mm -hmm. uh, we tried to get your teams to work on a flip chart. And a lot of that was a, a form of visual leadership because we knew you only had so many weeks, so many days to be in the plant. You're in people's way. You're, you could be holding up production. Right, you know? yeah. We Hopefully didn't want to waste a lot of time. And we, we wanted you to be effective so your time would, you would work together. So we, were, we gravitated to those flip charts where, you know, as coaches, we wanted to see your plan as a team on the flip chart so everybody knew on the team what everybody else was doing, how it all fit together. And that that's a form of, of visual leadership too. At a, yep, a really yep. simple level, we and we that we don't use that much um, in in other contexts. It seems to me we have a lot of meetings where people talk about who's going to do what, and we make a whole bunch of plans. Then we act like everybody can remember all that, mm -hmm. and we don't have a common place. Or if it is, it's in someone's computer that took notes. I took notes that you were going to yeah, do blah yeah. blah. And uh, so much better if that's on a flip chart out in where you can see it, then we can all remember, okay, that's what I'm supposed to, that's what I said I was going to do because there it is on the chart. Yeah, and one of the cool things was obviously that um, visual leadership has a distinct advantage over other, um, other forms of leadership, other forms of, of things because it's, um, we challenge sometimes to use pictures, we challenge ourselves to, um, put it up in, in public spaces. So I was talking about, um, you're, you were talking about the, the flip charts. Well, we didn't just have the flip charts back in our offices. We had them on the plant floor. I remember distinctly our, there was a conference room. Sometimes we'd have them up in the conference room if we were doing a brainstorm. But then my, my team, especially when we did our, our Kaizen event, we had it out on the outside of that window um, which was actually right next right to the warehouse. The, in, yeah. the, the warehouse where the, the um, raw materials would come in. And so it was most of the time we spent standing around that and we had guys from different cultures. There was a Taiwanese guy in my group at one point, um, guy from Mexico. Um, we were on different teams at different times, so I don't recall who was at all mm -hmm. part of that particular team on the raw material warehouse, a guy from Turkey. And there were varying uh, degrees of English proficiency. You know? yeah, yeah. And then throw into the mix, everybody who was working in the plant was um, spoke Sinhalese, um, was from Sri Lanka. And we had two guys spread through the whole team that were Sri Lankan, but 
the rest yeah. of us didn't speak, even the guys from India didn't speak Sinhalese. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of cultural differences too. Um, they tend to, uh, you know, kind of uh, use a head bobbing oh, motion yeah. Yeah. that looks like a yes. And so it, it, it often felt to me like they were, they were agreeing with me and to just to find out that they hadn't understood hardly what anything I had said. Yeah. And so that got to be difficult. There was even one point where a guy was, uh, I think one of the Taiwanese guys uh, was saying uh, yes in uh, Taiwanese or, or Mandarin, which was like how. how? how? And, uh, and so uh, the other guy we're watching, we're observing this moment happening and he's saying how, which is yes. And the other guy is going, this is how, this is how you do it. And he's like, yes. And, and he's like, well, I got to keep, you know. And so what was beautiful is that the moment we put it on paper, um, people's English proficiency of reading is a lot higher in a lot of countries. Um, they teach them to read in, in English. And uh, I, would be, I would be at the mercy of anybody else because I'm, I'm American. I don't know how to speak hardly anything else. And so I'm always amazed by their proficiency to read and things. And I was amazed by by how if we drew an arrow or if we used a, a chart or if we um, did something that, that people drew together, that there was mm. something that they could we could connect together on the page. And we used to say uh, during that time that it was like, this is what visual leadership is about, getting us all on the same page. And it same was page. a literal, literal action, page. literal one-page document but it was more than just the document. It was the fact that we were getting together on what we were talking about, what we were thinking, how we were going to talk about it. And what you were talking about is the action plan. Everybody wanted to get to that action plan much quicker, and we may talk about that. Um, but I, I found that it was also very helpful to put a name to it. It was sometimes hard because sometimes we wanted to assign someone. And uh, we typically yeah. tried to say, no, you, we need to volunteer. We need to kind of work together. This is a team effort. But one of the great things is we also pushed against saying just the team is going to do this. Because it, it, if it's everybody's responsibility, it's nobody's responsibility. Yeah, and so, absolutely. Um, there were line workers that needed to be uh, talked to. Um, there was interpreters we needed to get there. We needed to find out information about like, okay, the truck seems to be coming. We can't tell if it's a consistent <laughs> schedule. So we need to get how the does, schedule, how you does know. the truck get here? Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, how does he know what to have on it? Right, exactly. Here? Yeah, there's, there's just some questions that we needed to go find out from the plant manager and different things like that. And he was trying to run a plant. So he couldn't just be standing next to our yeah. team, you know, yeah. at every moment. Um, so there was some neat things like that where you put that up there and you say by when, you know, which was our, our timeline was much tighter. Like you said, we weren't going to be there very long. So we were doing things like day to day. And sometimes those flip charts were changing day to day. Yeah. Whereas in a, in a normal office situation, though, that, those timelines might be more like months. Uh, like in my context now, when we do um, kind of a, a plan, do check, adjust, PDCA, problem solving thing we're we're planning something out that may be several months uh, out you and, might not uh, get to the do part for the do a while. yeah and yeah. so the to do the the action items that we we assign to people may be uh weeks or months before we have a follow-up and and those kind of things but i i did learn a lot about um using those those documents i i have in my office um 
where we're sitting here, I have these whiteboards that move, and they're the mm -hmm. same size as those um, those flip charts usually were. And the nice thing is, I I have up to five of them that I can use, or four, I guess four of them that I can use, and uh, and move them around, or erase, and everything like that. I could even flip them around if I wanted to. Um, but I find myself using them a lot when people are in the room with me, just trying to get us up here. Is this what you're saying? Yeah. How can we do that? Even if it's not as structured as um, kind of answering the what, why, how, um, check, adjust. But I'm I'm trying to kind of take that next step of saying if we're if if we're seeing it together, uh, and I think this is one of your yeah. your kind of phrases. What we see together, um, we can do together I, I'm, I'm gonna blank oh, okay, on it now yeah. it's so. actually uh, Pascal Dennis Pascal Dennis thing. okay and, uh, Pascal Dennis wrote a book called Andy and me about a sensei and yeah and uh, I appreciate that book a lot but in it he has a little graphic triangle uh, that it's see together understand together act together yeah and so what I was fond of saying is what we see together we can think about together maybe that's his understand together and then we can act on together. Mm -hmm. So what we were doing with those in in, uh, in the AITC context was trying to make sure your team would see the plan, the analysis, the actions, whatever, uh, to try to make an improvement, your Kaizen, see it together, think about it together on that page, and then your action plan is acting together. So then your actions would make sense. Instead of looking at a lot of stuff, having a big discussion, and then you know four or five people running off in different directions trying to do mm -hmm. be the hero and do something that's going to be cool and, and yeah, yeah. work. And uh, to, so to that extent, um, you know, we, we a lot of people appreciate using a flip chart in a planning session or something. But when you uh, mention the things of like bringing it right out into the workplace, coming and updating it. So as coaches, we would come around. And if we didn't see updates on your your plan, we'd see people doing things. Where is that on your page? Oh, right, I, right. I need to put that on there. Yeah, you need to put what you're doing on there, so you don't so you stay on the same page. Yeah. So you yeah. don't take off. Um, so yeah, that see, think about, and act together is really really good principle. Um, I lived that in the NITC, which was the footwear version of what you went through. Uh, probably, uh, let's see, uh, six, seven years earlier right. uh, in Vietnam. And we had our, our uh, mission, our vision, our strategies. Each, had a, each of our strategies had a one-pager. Mm -hmm. And we had those together on the board. And we would have our um, management meeting, weekly management meeting, standing in front of that board and updating uh, what plans were changing, what things we were learning onto those pages. So updating those strategy pages, but that held the high level game plan at least for what we were trying to do in that center. And um, people could come there and and uh, see everything that we were yeah. trying to do. And that helped others think. They mm -hmm. saw that, they could see our thinking they could add their thinking into that same thinking, think together with us, even if they weren't there with us, and then get their bring their actions into alignment. Um, so it was that made a big impression on me.
Yeah, so it makes me uh, think about my own context as I kind of take those learnings, especially um, that idea of what we see together and we can think together and we can act together. Um, I've been just kind of struck by this quote that I found on um, Missio Alliance, um, missioalliance.org. And I've been introduced to the missional church movement in my studies at Fuller, in my grad program in theology, and I'm struck by this quote that I found on there, um, just how it kind of grabs a hold of my imagination. Um, First, people are not pushed by programs into formation. People are pulled by imagination. And it, it was in one of their articles on discipleship, and I thought it was quite um, telling just the way that they were trying to say, you know, it's not about push, it's about this pull. And that reminded me of my time in Sri Lanka and in mm. our uh, lean training program is that we talked a lot about in our training times this concept of not pushing material through but creating ways that the customer pulls um, and obviously this is like a long-term big big picture um, I don't want to create a product that no customer wants right, right. Um, and so you might find this in leadership books that have taken lean and put it into other industries like uh, the lean startup uh, they talk about a minimum viable product MVP yeah. so what can we put out there to our customers to see if there's interest to see if this is meeting the need mm-hmm. um, social networking was like that um, Facebook was kind of a pioneer in that they put out a minimum viable product and people went bonkers and so then now it's this huge corporation but without the MVP without that pull yeah. from the customer um, there wouldn't have been uh, much of a success, you know, you could pour a lot of money into something and it may not go anywhere. And the same was true in the factory. We were in the raw material warehouse working with those big rolls of fabric. If we crammed it full, yeah, we would never run out of material, but we might not have the right material. We might not have the material in the right place. It might be cluttered and we might be over full and, and stuff be out of place. And so then now we're slowing down the process trying to always move product around. And so we were trying to create these moments of pull where the customer could, even the internal customer, the cutter or uh, the next person down the line is creating a way to uh, initiate a a moment of saying, I want stuff now, instead of pushing raw material at the cutting department and just having rolls stacked around the cutting department. Um, And likewise, in my uh, context of ministry, thinking about people, not as products, but, but as people who are, are pulled by their imagination. They're not pushed into formation. Um, so if we're thinking about forming their character, whatever industry you might be in, if you're thinking about um, the different ways that we want to help people out in their job, develop new skills, learn new things, if you're an educator, uh, or in my case, um, discipleship of being becoming more Christ-like, uh, we got to capture their imagination and that's really where visual leadership mm. works the best is what we see together this this imagination and that that brings me back to the the public persona of these leaders these presidents they captured our imagination mm. jfk captured the imagination of a people i recently yeah. watched the movie about neil armstrong going yeah. to the moon and there's this tremendous uh, moment in the film where they show on the tv him neil and his wife watching jfk give the speech yeah. that then his job eventually becomes. And at the that. time when that speech happened, he was kind of on the outs. He was somebody who wasn't picked to go to the moon. He was 
um, at the time not even going to be the guy that was going to uh, fly in that main hmm. uh, main shuttle wow. thing. And so uh, there was an unfortunate accident, and um, and so the, some of the people who had been picked to land on the moon uh, died in one of uh, one of the tests on the ground. And so then you know. Neil's Neil's story was just kind of this tremendous overcoming moment, mm. and I I think about the the leadership though that JFK gave to the country about we're going to do this, you know. And throughout the movie, they make comments about how the Russians kept beating them, you know. <laughs> but the the moon landing, you know, yeah. uh, is is what we we accomplished, and he set that that goal. He captured the imagination of a people, and. Um, the ways that we capture the imagination of, uh, of the people that we serve. Um, in my context, I, I loved the way that the article did it was they, they talked about it uh, in four stages, awareness, uh, learning, reflection, and practice. And I've condensed mm. this to my own thing called a funnel. I think about how people become aware of God's activity, what God is doing in their life. And I try and say, how can I capture their imagination by, by helping them understand what God is up to in their life, in the mm-hmm. world? And, uh, and then I need to give them some vocabulary, some, some ways that they talk about it. So this gets to writing stuff on the board. We yeah. have a common lectionary. Yeah. We have a, a common lexicon, a common way of expressing uh, these experiences, the way that our imagination has been caught. And then we reflect together. And so this is where the the beauty of those flip charts was that we could have one next to another or we could have the same one and we could go around again. We're now clearer on what we're trying to do because we've, we've changed it and we're measuring are we successful as we go through and, and accomplish some of those actions. Maybe we spend some time uh, analyzing and, and expressing why this behavior is going on or why the solutions that we're not you know that we're doing what are our underlying assumptions about going what's going on um you know have we had a conversation if if you're in the raw material wars have you had a conversation with the truck driver you know like okay you know that's that here's some information about what's going on and we reflect together on that that can can capture people's imagination and then, obviously, um, we've already talked a little bit about like the habits of a leader, or the habits of the people putting these things into practice. At the at the end of the day, where the rubber meets the road is is how mm-hmm. we're behaving. Yeah, and we need ways to put into practice. One of the things that we talked about with um, the pull push system in Lean was that it's okay to stop the manufacturing line. And that in fact, it would be okay if there's a problem uh, on the stitching line, which I got to do some observation there, it would be okay for us to say, I need help. And actually that caused everybody else, or at least the people immediately around me to no longer work. Because we don't wanna keep pushing bad product down the line. So if there's a mistake here, we wanna catch it here. Or maybe the mistake got given to me. Well then I wanna call a stop to them back up the stream. Because they're giving that. me something. We did earlier. that with a visual device, right. so it wasn't just that you stopped. It you you uh, would pull a cord to turn on a light and set off music that that said something's the matter here. We're stopping. Then everyone could see where 
where the issue was, was. And where we needed to come help. Yeah, uh, they, and it, it called Andon. You can probably find out more information about that yeah. with um, re, you know reading about Toyota production system and what they've been doing with the Andon for a long time. But I was struck by that idea that um, in order to have a healthy place where people practice things, hmm. um, a healthy environment, a healthy culture where people are willing to put um, you know, kind of this, this theory, these ideas that leaders are maybe telling them through visual leadership, like um, the, the one minute manager had a great, great, another one of these posters, help people reach their full potential. And one of the ways he thought about doing that was catch them doing something right, right? Mm. Um, and we often are thinking about how to catch people doing something wrong. Where are they making a mistake and I can redirect them? And what the one minute manager observation is, is like, no, we wanna catch them doing stuff that's right and celebrate those things. And that builds a culture where they're gonna be willing to take risks and in order, the other side of that is that when people do something wrong, it's not the end of the world. We have to yeah. be in a place where we can take risks and do stuff. And I think visual leadership, if it's done right, uh, can be a way that we communicate. So the, the Andon was not a siren. Woo, woo yeah. everything's going to, you know, yeah. going to H-E double hockey sticks or whatever. Um, we're, we're okay. It's music. It's kind of yeah. cheery. It's a it's a moment where it's like I want to pull that cord, you know. And somebody comes to help me. Um, yeah, no, it's a good somebody thing. doesn't come and say what's wrong. You stopped production. They come and say how can I serve you? How can I yeah. help you? And the same way for us as leaders, one of the best visuals is not just what's on the the board, but what happens when people fail. Uh, one of my friends talks about this, and I think it's applicable to the business world too, um, is that we need a theology of failure. Mm. As, as a leader, one of the things we should be doing is understanding what it means to come along people who fail. Um, what does it mean to see the positive and the mm. good? And as a Christian, the good that God is bringing yeah. about, even amidst the failure. Yeah, and the hard part is we, uh, just like in a lot of work environments, um, problems aren't viewed as acceptable uh it's not safe to talk about them if we hide them maybe we'll just uh, tell ourselves a story that they don't exist so right. to the visual leadership it's also creating those environments where everything is what it is is on display so mm -hmm. i think about that um i think it's the ephesians text that talks about you know bringing everything into the light you know, uh, what did they say? Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Yeah. And if you bring your whole life out into the to the light, if we bring our work out into the light, if we bring, you know, the good things and the things that aren't working out into the light, then we can get help. We can do something about them. As long as we keep them hidden, that's what we learned in production. As long as all the things that aren't going so well are hidden, it's hard for anybody to do anything about them. So we have to make it safe for people to bring them out. And that's, that's so true about our lives. Yeah, and it's so true as, as, as a leader. If, um, if, there's not, if we're trying to push people to say, hey, you need to be part of this training program or you need to take this new degree or you need to come to this small group or you need to um, go to this you know, workshop or seminar, 
I think about it with parents that I'm trying to um, come alongside as I'm about to be a parent. It's sometimes intimidating to say, hey, let me help you, uh, you know, think a little bit about parenting in a different way. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I'm observing a lot of the time is that um, they need spaces where they can have conversations, have this reflection with other parents, and it be a safe, uh, mm-hmm. safe place. Uh, safe place is kind of a, a buzzword that a lot of people are using now to try and say, is this a safe place? Should this be a safe place? Is Facebook a safe place? I don't yeah, really want to get into the debate, but I think the whole concept of creating safety to fail is about practice because otherwise people mm-hmm. won't put into practice any of the leadership things we're, we're doing. If if I keep coming, I think this is why people like Tony Robbins um, on his documentary about I'm not your guru um, he, he talks a lot about how so much of what he does is trying to break through the wall of people's stuff because they aren't going to receive any sort of help. They're not going to let him be their guru. You know, he's, he's not going to be able to help them, even though they've paid $5,000 or whatever, mm-hmm. a huge amount of money to come to a week-long seminar. And part of it is because we walk around with these walls, um, in order to stay safe. Yeah. And, um... If we can create awareness, um, if we can capture their imagination, uh, Harvard Business Review recently did a thing on curiosity and talked about the benefits of people being curious at, at work. Um, you know, uh, Carrie Newhoff, a, a leadership expert and podcaster, was talking about this on a podcast interview uh, recently, and I, I've uh, listened to it and his um his new book I haven't read yet, but I, I, I'm intrigued by the idea. I've listened to his podcast for quite a while, and he talks about the cure to cynicism is curiosity. That is, we we become critical of other people, we become cynical about the world and about things that are going on in our life, and the cure is to become more curious. And, mm-hmm. and I think one of the ways that uh, liter- leadership can be uh, tremendously uh, visual to people is our own uh, sense and ability to be curious. And yeah. um, in in Harvard Business Review, they, they talked about four different ways. One of them was thrill-seeking. And I, I thought about that. Hmm. Some of those public persona people that I that I think about, Abraham Lincoln, was pretty, he, he was a thrill-seeker in some ways. He was self-taught. Um, he became a lawyer. Yeah. He uh, then hmm. became a politician and was really trashed in his uh, primary races and things. And then he's the president during the Civil War, and he made some pretty thrill-seeking choices yeah. about his generals. Yeah. Like he didn't pick the guys who were uh, the best uh, that that had the best um, pedigree, I guess I should say, um, and made some some bold choices. But he was tremendous uh, leader, and he was curious. I think um, voracious readers, you know, are curious. Yeah. There's all sorts of ways that we can develop yeah. that curiosity. And I think that goes back to capturing people's imagination with how we uh, embody this, how we practice it yeah. ourselves. And, uh, and that's why uh, one of the ways that I've been working on this is, is just trying to make a, um, a monthly appointment with you to do what we yeah. call the four modes, yeah. uh, which is your distill, uh, kind of distillization of um, some of these problem-solving methods and uh, and it's a visual thing so usually I take a picture of my I whiteboard like yeah. and uh, and send it to you and work work through those and I can those see questions. It. we can yeah. see it and, and think about it together and 
maybe get some action. Right, and and it's all trying at this point to kind of help me um, be a better better leader who embodies this, yeah. um, so that my visual leadership is is my life. Yeah. Um, one of the things you you've uh, you've said to me before, and I'm. I don't know if you got it or not, but uh, from somewhere, but uh, but it's like your best leadership um, is you is yourself. Yeah. You know, you yeah. are you are the. Um, yeah, you, you can come up with a lot of different tools for leadership, but your right. the best one is who you are. Who you are, and that that kind of brings us full circle. Maybe as we try to to wrap it up here, um, we started with the idea of people do what people see through an example. And I think you were just talking about that in terms of the curiosity um, and being um, having a, a theology of failure. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And those are all things that leaders can model. That's, that's Zach Lubin. So okay. he gets a shout out there on the podcast go. again. And you can, uh, you can model that as a leader when people see that, when people see how you fail, when they see that you don't hide your failure, mm-hmm. when they see that you... Um, or a person who reflects on that and tries to learn from it. Um, that's a, a, a type of visual leadership. If that's not visible to anybody, then it, it may be a great practice for you, but it, it's not leading. It may yeah. be leading you, yeah. but it may not be leading anyone else who doesn't know about it. And that's not to, you know, you have to be careful to put all your failures out in front of people, but that's the risk, that's the courage. And then being curious, so modeling being curious um, as a leader gives other people permission, shows them how, all of that is important kind of visual leadership besides using the visuals like we talked about the page and, and those right, kinds of right. things. So um, we, I'm going to lose my guest host uh, privileges if we go on too long. So I uh, just want to thank you for sharing. That's a lot of good sharing of from your experience uh, all the way from uh, childhood, Sri Lanka, um, yeah, yeah. Actually, you shared from before you were even born. You shared right, right. History, history before yeah. you were born, uh, thanks to your mom and all that, through uh, through to now. So, uh, and a lot of different sources. So, I just thank you for uh, for that. And I wish people could have seen you because you were being quite visual several times with your that's hands right, during right. this uh, during this podcast. But we'll have to work on that for yeah. another day. Yeah, for sure. And I think as uh, as we continue to try and lead um, people towards um, a goal or towards um, a purpose in mind um, that if we can keep um, you know a visual in front of us I, I um, don't want to overdo it with all the different texts that we've we've used we've used several that are really really important but one that I think um, I remember uh, memorizing as a young boy was uh, uh, that in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, um, that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Mm. Um, and in some translations, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And so as I think about that, like um, maybe it comes back to that public persona thing, like the, the leaders that we fix our eyes on, the things we fix our eyes on, the people we fix our eyes on, in many ways will shape um, the way that we lead and uh, so you know that brings with it some responsibility you know great power comes great responsibility yeah. as spider-man would teach us <laughs> his uncle would teach us wow. um, yeah. but uh, but we we should be careful who we're fixing our eyes on yeah, um, we sure. should also um, 
be uh, cognizant of the people who are fixing eyes on us, on us. Yeah. and uh, and how we're we're leading them in that way and so visual leadership whether we're purposely doing it or not i think visual leadership is the one that we always do um mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we we might have all sorts of other leadership principles wrong, and we might be not leading very well in other things. But but visual leadership we always do yeah. because people are always seeing us um, and seeing us for what uh, what we're doing and how we're acting. Um, so thanks for bringing this topic. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing. It was great. Thanks for giving up the the hosting seat, and uh, yeah, we'll do it again sometime. I'm sure we will. Thanks everyone for joining us on the Value Add Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.